Revelation chapter 7 is where we're at today, and I'm going to read to you now Revelation 7. And this portion of the book of Revelation is so fantastic. Let me just tell you what's going on. As I read it and unpack it, you'll know what to look for. In Revelation chapter 7, there's a pause or a timeout in the tribulation period. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, the seals have been opened up. The first four seals were the riders of the apocalypse, bringing with them death and famine and war and political chaos. The fifth seal was the seal of the martyrs that would lose their lives in the tribulation. The sixth seal, as it opened up, brought cosmic chaos and the moon was red and the sun darkened and the stars fell and the earth quaked and volcanoes shook. Remember that? And then the seventh seal doesn't come until chapter eight. There's a pause. There's chapter seven. And before the seventh seal is opened, releasing the seventh plague, which by the way, the seventh seal, just buckle in for this, the seventh seal actually unleashes the next seven judgments known as the trumpet judgments. And then after the seven trumpet judgments, there'll be seven bold judgments. Man, it gets real nitty gritty as we get deeper into Revelation. But before chapter six leads to chapter eight, there's chapter seven. And God pauses everything and says, stop before the next seal of destruction and judgment. Rightfully so. God says, I want to save some people. I want to make sure some people get saved out of the tribulation. I want to make sure that people have a way. Even then, the people that missed the boat, the trumpet, the rapture of the church, they missed it. They blew it. God says, they did blow it, but there's another way in. There's another way in through the tribulation period. You can actually be saved. In heaven, there will be three groups of people that I'm aware of, maybe more. The first group of people will be Old Testament believers, people who came to faith in God in the Old Testament before the new covenant, okay? The greatest of these, Jesus said, is John the baptizer, his cousin. That's the greatest of the Old Testament people that got saved. After Jesus died and rose from the dead, we are saved differently. We're now not Old Testament saints, we're New Testament saints. And you and I who are believers today who've seen Jesus rise from the dead, you and I will be in heaven with the Old Testament saints, we're New Testament saints. Then there'll be a third group of people which we'll see today. Not Old Testament saints, not New Testament saints like us, but tribulation saints. People who rejected Jesus for whatever reason, who didn't get invited to church, unfortunately. And yet through the tribulation period, we'll see in chapter seven, God made a way for them. So that way they could get to heaven. It'll be different than the way you and I got saved. And let me make sure you hear this loud and clear. If you don't get saved in the Old Testament, which it's too late for us, not your problem. (laughs) And you don't get saved in the New Testament. Okay, that's a big mistake, huge mistake. And then you don't get saved in the tribulation and you die. There will not be any more opportunities. There are no more opportunities. The Bible declares emphatically, today is the day of salvation. What what day is today? Today. Will that apply tomorrow? Only if you make it to tomorrow. Because then your tomorrow will be today. But right now, don't gamble. Today is the day. If you have a day, if if you get a day, it's the day. Once you're out of days, there's no more days. Simple math. Don't write that down. You don't even need to. Just commit it to memory. When there are no more days, there are no more days. You know, what you learn at church today? Listen, and what we're seeing in chapter 7 is a theology of who God is and what God's doing so you can order your life properly. This happens in the study of Genesis all the way through Revelation. This happens on Sunday mornings, but it also happens when you do your devotionals. You are creating for yourself a file of theology. Now, lest you... Put yourself off the hook and think that there are some theologians out there, or maybe Pastor Luke is a theologian, a studier of God. Let me just tell you something. You're all theologians. Not all good theologians, but we're all theologians. That is, we all have an assumption, an opinion, and a conclusion of who God is. Everybody does. Even Homer Simpson's a theologian. You're going to get some sort of theological information by watching The Simpsons. Doesn't mean it's good. Doesn't mean it's taken from the book. Everyone has a view, opinion, thought, conclusion based on experience or input, invalid or valid on who God is. This is why it's so key. Study God's word, front to back. Figure out who God is. Number one, who's God? The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, okay? It's not, it's not the fear of man or reading a book. That's not where wisdom begins. It's in knowing who God is. 
then you are on the track to being a wise guy or a wise gal. And so when we study theology, Webster defines theology this way. It is the study of God and of God's relation to the world, twofold. Because once you study God properly, you will know what God is doing on earth rightly. Theos, God, ology, the study of theology. And what we want to do today is we want to really understand. And before I read chapter 7, let me just, note takers, there's journals on my right and left, blank journals. There's notepads in the chair in front of you or behind you. Note takers, look for three theologies in today's text, chapter 7. Number one is the theology of God's mercy and grace. You can write that down. God's mercy and grace. What do you know about it? How big is it? How extensive? How wide? How broad? How unstopping? God's mercy and grace? Oh, I'd love to talk about it. Next theology I want you to look for today. God's judgment and truth. It would almost be considered the opposite of God's mercy and grace. His judgment and truth. In that, God is going to hold the line, and if he said he's going to do something, he's going to do something. And if he said something's wrong, something's wrong. He's true. He's full of love, mercy, and grace, right? There's a theology there. There's also the theology of God's truth and righteousness. Did you know that if you have one without the other, it's spiritual abuse? You could actually have one on this side that is love and grace and kind. Have you ever been to that church before? God loves you. He does everything. Everything's fine, and your life's upside down. Don't worry about it. God loves you. It's going to be just fine. Listen, that's spiritual abuse. It's not true. But have you ever been to the church over here? God's so mad at you. He's going to grind you up. He's coming to burn everyone. Turn or burn. You know, hell and fire. And that, you've been to that church before? All seven people that go there? Husband and wife and their five kids? You know what I'm saying? Spiritual abuse. You can't have one without the other. You've got their intention. Because guess what? God is going to judge everything. God does have a righteous standard. God God doesn't miss anything. Don't be mocked. It's a fact. You will reap what you sow. What? Guys over here, though, I love you so much. I'm going to send my only begotten son down that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And if you call upon my name, I'll forgive you and I'll seal you with my Holy Spirit and I'll I'll take, I'm going away to prepare a house for you and I'll I'll come back and take you to be with myself. And if it weren't true, I would have told you so, man. I'm so fired up and God's love. Okay, you got to have a good theology. One without the other is spiritual abuse. And and let me just read to you chapter seven because it's right in the middle of the tribulation. There's a pause. Matter of fact, look at verse 17 of the last chapter. It says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who's able to stand? These are the men and women on earth during the tribulation. The church has been raptured into heaven, and now these men and women, great and mighty, free and commanders, they're all trying to hide themselves from the wrath of God. And they ask the proverbial question who can stand? You know what the answer is? If you've bowed before, you can stand after. You have to bow before you can stand. These, for some reason, will not bow. All they're worried about is standing. If you're wise here today, you will bow the knee before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and you will confess with your mouth that he is God. And the Bible says that if you bow now, you will stand later. The question is asked, who can stand? The answer is actually given to us in chapter 7. The people standing before the presence of God. And I want you who are theologians here with me today, bowers, did you, did you bow during worship? Did you confess? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is, I'm going to do that one more time for your benefit. If you confess that Jesus Christ is, you will stand. I hope you said that. I hope you did. Lord, oh yeah, happy day for you. You read the instructions. Good job. Look what happens next. Verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Whoa. That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. And then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth and the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. 
of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Verses 5 through 8 lists those tribes in succession. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. 12,000 from each of these tribes are sealed. 12,000 times 12,000 is 144,000. They are sealed in the tribulation period. These are tribulation saints. They're not Old Testament saints. They're not New Testament saints. They are Jews living on earth that missed the rapture because they didn't know who their Messiah was and God had a plan for them, which is such good news. And he had a plan not just for them, just for 144,000, but a plan to use them. What do these guys do? Look at the next verse, verse nine. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed with white robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Stop right there, Isaac. Did you see that? After these 144,000 very specific, itemized, lined out, picked people, Jews, there's now another group that is, did it say how many? Innumerable. It said so many, no one could number them. Is that a big group or a little group? It's a big group of all tribes, all nations, all tongues, all creeds, all class, all genders, everybody. And now John sees this one group of specific sealed guys that leads to this group of the harvest of the tribulation. And they're standing with white robes and palm branches set free and they're worshiping the Lord. And the angels say this in verse seven, verse 11, all the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and they worship God. Now the angels are freaking out, verse 12. And they're saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. This is so cool, look at verse 13. Then one of the elders, we've talked about these guys. They are a representation of the New Testament saints. You and me, the church, they're in heaven watching this. As people are coming up from the tribulation to heaven during that seven years of wrath, what's going on down here? People are being saved daily. And this elder, that's you and me, verse 13, answered saying to me, that's to John, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to him, beats me. <laughs> verse 14, I said to him, uh, sir, you know, John doesn't know. John doesn't know who the, he's watching. He's, I don't know. This, here's a cool part. Just look at me. This elder, he knew the whole time. This elder guy, he knew what was going on. He looked at John and John's spacing out. John's like, whoa, whoa. And so this elder's like, do you know who those guys are? And he's like, no, I don't. <laughs> Glad you asked. Even though John didn't ask. And now this elder guy does what elder guys do. He begins to talk about spiritual things to a guy that doesn't know everything. John. John doesn't know. John doesn't recognize this group. So this elder says this, verse 14. I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, oh, and he goes next level. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell with them. And they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. And the sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love this chapter. I love that elder. He's funny. Asking John, hey, you know, who are these guys? You know who these guys are? He, he's just waiting Waiting to share with John the good news. Let me tell you who these guys are. And he goes into great detail who they are. By the way, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that's who we're supposed to be every day. We're supposed to be people right now, you and I, this elder, who know what's going on. The rest of the world is running around like Chicken Little, freaking out. Uh, uh, Kanye West got saved. Uh, what's going on? Uh, you know, no clue. Uh, panicking. You and I are to be those elders who know what's going on. Oh, yeah. And are then able to discern the times and the seasons and help other people to know what's going on. This is our job. This is our duty. This is our responsibility. Last night, I downloaded a volcano tracker app to my phone 
So when I woke up this morning, there was like 45 different volcanic activities all over the, the globe and all these different things happening. And I also downloaded the earthquake tracker that tracks all the earthquakes and the rumblings throughout planet Earth. And there's an earthquake about every eight minutes, okay? It's all over the place and it gets all the details. And as I was downloading it, we have a shared family plan on our iTunes. And so it downloads the same apps to all of our devices. And so my son Noah over here on my right, he's like, hey dad, you know, I got these trackers now. And, and my son, he's smart, real smart. So he said, hey dad, is there anything I should be aware of that's going on in the world right now? <laughs> anything you know that I don't know is what he asked. Like, is there any, any real reason why you downloaded these things? I said, nah, I'm just a weirdo. You don't want to know, want to know because the Bible talks about the end days and there'll be volcanoes and earthquakes and chaos. And it's not new. You can download those things yourself and you won't sleep like I didn't last night either. Is the <laughs> updates come rolling in and <laughs> here's the deal though i love it because i'm not I'm, i see things happening and they're escalating and laws are being passed and chaos is being accepted and god's being pushed out and immorality is being accepted and promoted and celebrated to me yeah i know what's going on and here's the here's the cool thing i know i have a theology okay that helps me with my missiology. I know who God is. I know what he's all about. I know that in the days of Genesis, when he flooded the earth, he told Noah to build an ark. And for hundreds of years, he warned the people. Guys, get saved, get saved, get saved, okay? Because while judgment's coming, salvation is available. And I know that when Sodom and Gomorrah was acting the way they were acting, that God sent missionaries and angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to rescue those who would listen. That God loves people. That Lot was warned to get out before judgment came. And that when the children of Israel were delivered from Egypt, there was 10 plagues in order to soften Pharaoh's heart so nobody would have to die. Because God wants to save people before judgment comes. And before God judged Nineveh, he sent Jonah. He said, I gotta judge you guys, but I'm gonna give you a chance to repent. And Jonah showed up and he preached repentance and they all got saved and nobody had to be judged. And that when Babylon was in charge, God sent Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to preach the gospel. Nebuchadnezzar got saved, and Belshazzar got saved, and Darius got saved, and all these guys got saved. And I know God's heart for the wicked, Gentile, crazy, pagan people. And when Jesus was with his boys, and he said, we got to go to Samaria. Nobody wants to go to Samaria. Jesus said, I do. The longest recorded history, no, the longest recorded conversation in history between Jesus and somebody else was with a pagan, Samaritan, floozy of a woman. What's your theology of God? Does he love this world? As messed up as it is, it's messed up. If you're not careful in your Christian self-righteousness, you could easily identify all the stuff going on with the world around us. Browbeat, look down your long, shameful nose at people. This wacky, sinful world. Lord, should we bomb them? James and John said. Jesus said, what are you talking about? Let's pray for him. I know, we're going to pray that you bomb them. No, no, no. <laughs> Not that kind of prayer. <laughs> pray for your enemies. I pray they get arrested, Lord. No, that's not what he meant. And we see Jesus show us the culmination of the theology of God. How does God look at gangsters and people and crazy, immoral idolaters and adulterers? How does he look? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The very next words out of Jesus' mouth, okay, he said seven things. The very next phrase out of his mouth was, today you will be with me in paradise. Who's that to? The thief on the cross. Immediate answer to his prayer. First thing he said, Lord, forgive him. Second thing, you're forgiven. What? This theology will do two things, guys. It will help you to look at the world around us as it gets wilder and weirder and not lose your mind and start throwing spears. You'll be compassionate, long-suffering, willing that none should perish, like God said in 2 Peter, willing that all should come to the knowledge of repentance, like he said. That's what, that's what God's waiting for. You'll have a better theology. You'll, you'll love your neighbors better. You'll love the rebels better. This theology will correct your view. You know what else it'll do? It won't just correct your view of what's going on out there. It'll correct your view of what's going on in here. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you guys still have a rebel heart and you make some mistakes and you actually get out of your lane every once in a while? Man, I, I do. And if you're, man, the devil's gonna prey on you. He's gonna prey on you when you get out of your lane. He's gonna say, God doesn't love you anymore. 
God doesn't have any mercy for you anymore. There's no compassion for you. You knew the truth and you blew it? Pfft, you're done. You ever hear that voice? I hear it every day. I hear it. Well, what's your theology say? What, is, what has God demonstrated from Genesis to Revelation? That even here in the very end of days we're studying, it's too late. You guys missed the boat. Nah, 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 nah. No, that's not what God says. He says, hey, pause before the seventh seal. Can we seal 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams and then send them into the world? Did you guys know as we study through Revelation, we're not just going to see these 144,000 that are sealed to preach. We're going to see two angels, or I'm sorry, two witnesses, Elijah and Moses most likely. And they're going to come to planet Earth and have power and they're going to witness and people are going to be saved. And then there's an angel dispatched to planet Earth that literally flies back and forth saying, don't take the mark, get saved. Go to South Beach Church. Whatever it's going to say. He's got this message. Ain't going to be nobody here anyways. Like. And God ordered all that in to who he is and what's going on. This will change your, the- your, your missiology, the way you live your life, the way you unpack life two ways. It'll make you more of a loving person, more hopeful, more optimistic, more redemptive. When you go to your coffee house tomorrow or to lunch later today and you look at these people you don't know and can easily discern if they're right or wrong, wrongly discerning. God loves them. And it will help when you make mistakes. You know how fun it is to forgive yourself. Okay? Get back in your lane. Repent. We're going we're to take communion at the end of the service. You can forgive yourself. You got to forgive yourself. You got to take communion. Repent. Don't pretend your sin isn't sin. That's not repentance. You call it sin. Sin. Lord, do you still love me? (laughs) What would make you think I don't? I do a lot of counseling with people in their darkest times. And whenever I can tell that forgiveness hasn't happened yet from themselves, I can tell there's still just an inability to move forward. I always ask them this question. I always say, is your sin bigger than Christ's blood? (laughs) And most people are like, no, dude, of course not. Somebody asked me that question years and years and years ago. I said, no, my sin's not bigger than Christ's blood. And my friend who loved me said, then start acting like it. Get over it. You're forgiven. Do you not know the theology of God in his long-suffering? In that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In that God demonstrated his love that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's the good news, guys. It's the good news. That's why you're here today. It'll change everything. This comes on the heels again of those who will not bow. Look at verse 1. We have four minutes left. No, I'm kidding. We don't have four minutes left. This is the second service. We can go as long as we want. After these things, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. What? that the wind should not blow on the earth or the sea or any living tree. Okay, a couple things here. First of all, these angels are now dispatched to the four corners of the earth. And they're grabbing the four winds of the earth. Four angels, four winds, four corners. Grab, and they're stopping the wind that it would not blow. This is, by the way, an answer to my prayers living in Newport. <laughs> Have you not prayed against this satanic wind in Newport? Man, August 3rd, sunny everywhere in the world, except here it's 42 degrees because of the wind. You know, I hate the wind, man. I hate it. Uh, oh, well, I'm here. Okay, so that's not part of the point. But the wind stops. These angels are dispersed. And just coincidentally, some people have taken this verse right here and said, see, the Bible's scientifically inaccurate and wrong, can't be trusted. There's not four corners. There's no flat earth. Any flat earthers here today? By the way, we had one at the last service. Pray for that guy. The earth is round. Everyone knows it. The earth is round, okay? So the four corners here, and people have said, see, see, we're, listen, we're talking about the four directions, north, east, south, and west, not four corners literally, which, by the way, four directions back then would actually be a scientific declaration that has been since proven. And just so you guys know, you who are looking for some sort of data or practical foundational footholds for the scriptures as far as it is scientifically, okay, the Bible is perfect. What the Bible has been declaring forever, science is still discovering currently, just so you guys know. 800 years before Jesus... The book of Isaiah, Isaiah was prophetically inspired to say that God sits upon the circle of the earth. Now, that was when the flat earth theory was believed. 
God sits on the circle of the earth is what Isaiah said. He, Isaiah didn't even know it was a circle, but he was prophesying an instrument of the Lord saying whatever God told him. Now, years and years later, we look at it from space like, it's a circle. I'm pretty sure it's a circle, you know, from space. And it, it's a circle. We, we knew that the whole time. Job, even older than Isaiah. Job written way, way, way back in the day. Job said that God has hung the earth on nothing. Job 26. Now, in that day, Job prophetically, did Job know? He didn't know, but God told him, this is what I did. In that day, the popular thoughts were is that God had, or not God, but that the earth was on the back of a giant tortoise. If you were from China in that region, you believed that there was a tortoise carrying the, the earth. And if you were from India, you believed that it was on the back of an elephant. I'm not sure why they chose an elephant. Like, I was like, elephant for sure. You know, it's on the back here. Or if you were from Rome, they believed that Atlas was holding it, you know, and that was not, we call it mythology. To them, it was theology. That was their, the, that was their that's what we believe. And God just scientifically said, oh, no, it's hanging on nothing. Well, this was before, before telescopes and all that stuff, which, by the way, helps me getting back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God says, in the beginning, God created everything, heaven and earth, with a word. You know what I do with that, with that theory of creation? Guess what I do? I believe it. Okay? I believe it. I wasn't there, so I don't have to prove it. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And my God's big enough to pull it off. Okay, he can do whatever he wants. And he said it clear. Anyways, God knows what he's talking about. Well, these angels show up. They pull back the winds and they stop the winds. Winds in the scriptures are spoken of in a couple different ways. One of which, though, is judgment. This is right in the middle of the tribulation period. The six seals are open. Everything's getting crazy. Stop the judgment. Why? Well, to seal these homies. Why? To save people. Oh, wow. Or you're, you're, you're real. You're real creative. You're real kind. Wouldn't you just rather the wind tear up and go crazy? God says, it will. I will have my judgment and righteousness, but not without being bathed in love and grace. Wind is interesting, isn't it? There's good and bad. If the winds get too heavy, destruction happens, right? Remember the storm of 1995? Who was here in 1995? Okay. Where were the rest of you people? 1995. It was so cool. I lived here in town. I remember the storm started coming, and I borrowed my dad's Nissan pickup, and me and Jonas Feynman and Jonah Ferber got in my dad's truck. We're driving. I was a junior in high school. Man, we just had... Highway 101 had more debris in it than Thompson's Dump has right now. It was full of debris, and I remember the Chevron right by Big Five. We were pulling up there, and the, the awning started going like this, and we were just watching it, and all of a sudden went into Highway 101. Yeah, best day ever, you know. And <laughs> Izzy's Pizza, if you remember, the whole roof blew off. These people were like eating the buffet, like, yeah, you know. And it was awesome. The highest recorded wind ever in the history of modern man was 253 miles an hour. Because 100 mile an hour gusts took the Izzy's roof off. Can you imagine 253 miles an hour, just wind. Wind, by the way, is incredible because you can't see it. You can only see the effects of it. There's, it's invisible. It's an invisible force. 250, just destruction speaks to so many applications. And, and it's powerful, and you got to be careful. But also, wind is very profitable. See, the wind is stopped right here. Much like my prayers have not been answered. Lord, no more wind in Newport. But wind does a lot of things. You know that wind takes pollinization from flowers and from from the insects and, and brings it where it isn't. It takes it where it needs to go. You can see a spider drop down and a spider will just catch that, you know, wind. And I don't know I'm talking about spiders. Nobody likes spiders. But anyways, it's good for spiders too. And did you know birds can fly, but they actually use the wind to soar. They catch the updrafts. And without wind, as a matter of fact, let me just go back and say it this way. The sun shines on the ocean and it evaporates clean water. The salt stays down and it evaporates clean water. And then it creates condensation and clouds. And the wind actually pushes it inward. And that's how rain is brought to Montana, North Dakota, and all these places. It's brought inland. And without wind, all of it would evaporate and just stay right there. And it would rain offshore, but never onshore again. Check this out. In the book of Revelation, as we get deeper, there'll be a three and a half year drought no rain at all for three and a half years. Much say it's because of the lack of wind here. We don't know for sure. God's economy will do whatever he wants. These guys, though, hold back this wind. Verse 2, the angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to those angels who harm the earth and the sea, saying, don't harm them, the trees and the earth, until we have sealed the servants of God on their forehead. Now, this seal that is given to these Jews, these 144,000 Jews. We don't know what the seal looks like. 
whether it's two-dimensional, that is one that you can see, or, or three-dimensional, or six-dimensional, something else. Let me just say something about seals, though. A seal back then would represent three things, just as it represents now in you and me. Write these down if you're studying with me still. It would speak of possession or ownership. It would speak of protection, and it would speak of purpose. When you saw something that was sealed, it said it's possessed by somebody, it's protected by somebody, and it's got a purpose for somebody. These 144,000 are sealed. First thing I'll talk about is possession, that God owns them. In, in, in those days, a man who was going to build his kingdom would go to a lumberyard, for lack of a better word, a forest. And he would identify timbers that he wanted. He would seal them. They'd be cut down, harvested, and then shipped to port. And he would know what his seal looks like. Those are mine. Sealed, possessed, owned. Just like you would put a seal on a sheep or a cattle. When I think of seal, just when I think of something sealed, I think of saran wrap, okay? Not saran wrap, okay? This is a seal, an outward seal somehow. And these would be sealed for his purpose because he has possession over them. Let me just talk fast track though. Not just possession, but that possession would lead to protection. Because when somebody else would see this timber or this sheep or this cattle with a seal, it would protect that sheep, that timber, or that cattle because the person would say, that's somebody's. That's how it worked. They would honor it. If it had your seal on it, it would be protected. I think this is more than just two-dimensional. I think this is a spiritual seal that will actually protect these men during the tribulation period to accomplish the work that God has put upon them. As I continue to unpack this, I'm going to read to you two verses in a minute that talk about New Testament saints, not tribulation saints. That's you and me, New Testament saints, that we are sealed. We're also possessed. That is, that God owns us. We're also protected. Protected. This is so good. Did you know without the... No hope. How many of you guys have proved this to be true in your own life? Like you do your own, you have blown it. You love God, I love God too. Have you done perfect since you've loved God? No. Are you sealed? Yes. Oh, you're protected then. If it were not for the seal, done. (laughs) Nice try, bro. Maybe next time I'll do better than you. I'm sealed. If you go to the United States Post Office tomorrow, they're closed today, go tomorrow, Monday, and try and mail something, okay, to to your friend and say, you know what, Can can I buy insurance on that? Oh, yeah. $1.50 $1.50 more, but you can buy insurance on this, and we're going to seal it, and they'll put a little steel, seal on it. And say, can I get guarantee of deliver, of the, deli- uh, you know, when you're going to deliver, I want to make sure, I want to be able to track it, and can you, oh, it's another $1.50, you know, and they're going to put another seal on. Check this out. If you do that with your, with your mail, they will then, at the United States Post Office, all look at that seal, and they'll all treat it differently. Every postmaster general, every post uh, delivery guy, what are they called? Mailmen, mailmen, all those people. It's, it's 2019 now, everything's different. And they'll all look at it and they'll take care of it differently than normal mail, okay? God says they're gonna be sealed, so will you. And the third thing I want you guys to consider as New Testament believers, not only are we possessed at his own, not only do we have protection, but we also have purpose. You know that you're sealed. You know you're doing things. Because if you're like me, you wake up every day and you kind of got to shake the cobwebs out and remember what your purpose is. Or if you're like me, you'll have those weird days where somebody slips you a decaf. <laughs> you're driving around in the afternoon. You're like, what is life all about? And, and Satan tries to tempt you to do something like, yeah. And you start to get weird. Anybody else get weird but me? And, my, and if you're sealed, though, oh, wait, 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 wait. I got a purpose. Much like the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEAL, SEAL stands for Sea, Air, Land. SEALs. Did you know that SEALs don't live for their own purpose anymore? A Navy SEAL, a true Navy SEAL, man, those guys have given up their own rights, okay, for something greater than them. They're ready to lay it all down. You as believers, we've done the same thing. It's not about you anymore, okay? And if you're like me again, you wrestle with this every day because you're super selfish and sinful, and yet you're SEALed. And the Lord reminds you. Here's the verses I'd share with you. You can read them later. They're in the beginnings of Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. Ephesians says, In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. You could just read that verse like every 20 minutes for the rest of your life and freak out. That verse is loaded. Here's the next one, 1 Corinthians. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, 
who has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You're sealed. We're sealed. These guys are going to be sealed. Look at verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Does that sound pretty specific to you? Does it sound like a generalization? Any generalizations in there? It was very specific. The next group, just read the next group, verse 9. After these things, I looked and behold, a great number, which no one could number, great multitude, no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. Stop right there as up here. There are two distinct groups. One is very specific. 144,000. 12,000. Can you imagine writing this? They didn't have word. Even reading it kind of gave me a, you know, stressed me out a little bit. Imagine back in that day writing it over and over, every time they would ever copy the scriptures and give another person a copy. Right. Why, why is it so specific? Because it's clear and it's very specific. I say that to say this. There are cults that have come along and have decided to say, guess who the 144,000 are? I'm like, I don't need to guess. You know what I'm saying? It's right there. It says right here who they are. No, no, guess who they are though. There's no guessing needed. And they, they say this, cults have come along and said, guess who they are? And if you play the game, okay, who are they? It's us. It's the Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> They've said this. The Jehovah's Witness cult has said, we are the 144,000. When they first started, they were small in number and they chose to be this group, which by the way, why would you want to be this group? This is the group that missed the rapture. <laughs> you, know, you, know, like, you don't want to be this group in the first place. So they said early on, we're the 144,000. And then as soon as they got to 144,000 and one in their number as their cult grew, they looked at this guy and said, bro, you missed it. <laughs> you know, too bad for you. So they changed their theology and said, these are the elect of the elect. 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses, everyone else after that, they have another playbook for. Check this out. The next time the Jehovah's Witness come to your door, okay, Ask him this question to begin with. Very first question. Say, and say, let me ask you a question. Are you going to heaven when you die? Ask him. And when they say no, because that's what they believe, no, I'm not going to heaven. Only the 144,000 are going to heaven. When they say no about themselves, then ask the next question. And you want me to go with you? And then logically say, look, I am going to heaven. You should come with me. You know, and then invite, invite them to read the Bible. I'm not messing with you. I'm actually not messing with you. That's exactly what I do to every J-dub that comes to my house. They don't come to my house anymore. <laughs> they skip our house. It's funny. Anyways, other cults, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, he taught that they were of the 144,000 in his early teachings. Seventh-day Adventist, Ellen G. White, taught that they were of the 144,000 in her early teachings. And, and people have... Here's the deal. Guys, let's be people that just read the Bible. It's very specific, okay? These are people from the nation of Israel. How and why is God going to do that? I don't know exactly what he's going to do. And I'm actually running out of time, but I really want you to focus in on this. God is doing this, sealing these men, in order that the verse 9 would happen, that many would get saved. You might ask yourself, well, how does he know where they're all from? Look, do you know where all your kids are right now? I know where my kids are. I know exactly where they are. God knows where his kids are. God's a better dad and shepherd than we are. When Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, all of the genealogical records were destroyed as well. If you're a Jew today, you actually can't accurately trace your heritage. You can guess. You might have some family traditions. You might assume, but you can't actually prove it. You can't prove what tribe you're from. Guess what? God doesn't need our genealogical records. He knows where they're from. I do need to point this out, though. There are, I believe, 16 lists in the Old Testament of Jacob's kids. These are Jacob's kids, okay? There are 16 lists, and they're all different in order. Interesting. This list is also different in order. Did you notice the first person listed here is Judah? Judah is not Jacob's oldest son. He is his fourthborn. 
Why is Judah listed first then in this tribulation saints, missionaries as they're sealed? I suggest to you this, because from the tribe of Judah comes Jesus Christ, and he is the first. And by the way, if you know Jesus, he'll fast track you to the front of the line, okay? He'll get you to the front of the line. Know Jesus, and you'll go through the front door first. Judah's in the front. Guess who's second? Reuben. Reuben actually is the firstborn. Why is he second, not first? Well, maybe because Judah took that spot, but I suggest to you another more severe reason. Reuben should be the firstborn, first listed here. But in Genesis 49, Jacob, his dad, cursed him. Because you know what Reuben did? He blew it. Reuben acted immorally, sexually perverse. Blew it. He did some things he shouldn't have done. And when you do things you shouldn't do, you pay the consequences. It's a fact. God's not going to be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow. Here's the cool thing. Listen up. Pay attention. Apply this to your own life. While Reuben made some mistakes... By God's grace, he made the list. He's still here. Let me make you make sure you hear this loud and clear. If you're a Christian here today, if you, if you are a Christian, okay, no matter what you do, you will be a Christian the rest of your life and you will die a Christian. If, if you're a Christian, <laughs> that's good news. But if you act foolishly, rebelliously, stupidly, you will forfeit on blessings and opportunities that God has put in your path. You will live a lesser life guaranteed. You will die a Christian. You will be a Christian because Christ has borne you again. But there will be things that you will miss out on. And all of us who are at least old enough to be humble to look at your rearview mirror say, that's a fact. Have you missed out on things because of your stupid life, your stupid choices? I sure have. Reuben, he's not where he should have been, but he does make the list. The third thing I'll point out for you Bible students, in this list, there is a tribe completely not mentioned at all. Dan. Dan's not mentioned here. Dan is one of the sons of Jacob, and he's not mentioned at all. Why? I don't know. I'll tell you what I think. It's because, Dan, we know this. And if you go to Israel with us in May, May 26th, 2020. Nope, May 16th, 2020. We're coming home to 26. If you, we're going to go to the northern part of Israel, right below Lebanon. If you yell loud enough, loud enough, Yasser might be able to hear you in Lebanon. We'll be right there. And that's where Dan settled. Dan wasn't supposed to settle there. It was too high up. It was way far away from Jerusalem. It was where the pagans lived. So Dan got all weird and into paganism. We're going to study that in Israel. I believe, listen, much like Reuben, Dan didn't make this list at all because of his foolishness. Check this out, though. In the book of Ezekiel, there's another list speaking prophetically of the tribes to come and their play in the future. Guess who's in that list? Dan. Dan does make one of the futuristic lists. So, guys, do you notice the theology we're building here today? Threefold. I asked you guys to write down three theology, theological foundations today. God's grace and his mercy. God's righteousness and his judgment. And the third one, which I might not have even unpacked, I can't remember now, it's God, I didn't, I didn't. I'm, not, I'm now remembering, I, I didn't. Here it is, perfectly played, as I meant to. The third theology, or third, yeah, theology, study of God and his relation to the world. Our free will and responsibility in all things. You better know it. Our actions have consequences. They just do. They just do. And all this is intention. Wouldn't it be cool just to have one without the other? Just pick your favorite doctrines. Pick your favorite theologies. No, no, no. They're all in here together, making this beautiful tapestry. Guys, the best thing you could hear today is in verse 9. We're going to end here. We're going to start here next week. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number. Of all the nations, tribes, and peoples and tongues standing before the throne, before the Lamb, listen, clothed in white, with palm branches, verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is so radical. Verse 10. This group who missed the tribulation, they missed the rapture, they missed it, they get saved. You know what they cry out? Great is our Lord, the one who saves. We already read the story. John is watching, Whoa. possibly confused. 
let's just be honest, super confused. Four angels holding back the winds. Seal them up. 144,000 sealed. Big number. Elder comes up. You know what's going on? He actually asked John, hey, John, what's going on here? Dude, beats me, man. This is what I want you guys to do. Today and this week, two things. I want you to know what's going on. This elder knew exactly what was going on. He saw it. Got it. But he looked for people. He was looking for somebody who didn't get it. Somebody who was out of the loop. Somebody who was confused, freaking out. Too much Fox News. (laughs) Too much CNN. Ah, You know. Too much Volcano Tracker. Ah. No idea. You know, freaking out. And as elders, that is New Testament saints, it's us. God's asked us to be light and to be salt. He's asked us to be spiritual, listen, thermostats. A thermostat determines the temperature. A thermometer only measures it. A thermometer only responds to what's going on. Up or down, no control, freaking out. Thermostat determines what's going on. You can do this at your home, husbands, wives, your thermostat. Do this in your life group. Do this at your job place. Do this at your school. Be a thermostat. We're getting into the things of God here. Get things back on track. Do it for yourself. If you've gone cold and dormant for the things of God, okay, don't be a thermometer. Well, I'm just waiting for things to change. I'll change when they change. They might not change. A thermostat has power and redeems the time. I'll say it this way next week as well. Leaders lead. We all are leaders here. Some are not leading well. People are following you. People are watching you. People are acting just like you. You wish they wouldn't. That's not how it works. We're all influencing somebody. After the first service, I went and sat in a chair in my office. I just sat there. I just just sat there, just thinking about being an elder, a leader, having influence on people, how well I yield and wield that influence, and how well I don't. I just sat there. In God's grace, I just let him hug me. I didn't feel like I'm the best leader, the best influencer, but I sat there with the hope that it's worth it. And just meditate on God. Lord, I want to do that. Lord, I want that to be my mind. Lord, I want to look at everybody with that idea. Like this elder looked at John and said, do you know what's going on? And then John just said, no, do, do you? I do. And I'm going to have Pastor Ryan come. We're going to take communion now. And we get a chance to repent today. Beautiful. And just sit there. You can take your communion elements back to your chair and just sit there and just let the Lord hug you and remind you and cleanse you and make you the person he wants you to be. If you've not been doing this 100% perfectly, you're like me. And the Lord says, I love you. Do you know my theology, son? I love you. I've chosen you. And how valuable is the truth that you hold in your hands? The rest of the world looking around confused. So even today, as we take communion, as we handle the body and the blood of our Savior, and as we repent of our sins, acknowledging our foolishness and our rebellions, that's what we do when we commune. We examine ourselves and proclaim his death until he returns. It's very simple. 1 Corinthians 11. We gather together. And we do open table con- communion here where you got to get it yourself. You got to get it yourself. I'm not going to chew your communion for you. That's yours. I'm not going to share your cup with you. That's your cup. I got my own cup. It's between you and the Lord. And he loves you so much. 
He's committed to you, even in your mistakes and your wanderings. You know what he doesn't want you to do, though? He doesn't want you to take communion today and go back and be the same person. Be foolish. He wants you to take communion today and be a different person. If you go back and be the same sinful person, you will only suffer more heartache. It's the truth. He wants you to be radically set apart, sealed with a purpose. Radically set apart to be you. As I sat in my office, I didn't sense the Lord telling me to do anything that I'm doing or to stop doing anything I'm doing. He didn't say stop doing stuff, Luke. You know what he said? Just do everything you've been doing, but for greater purpose. Be that evangelist you were called to be, Luke. Be that lover of people. Be that pioneer, Luke. For my kingdom. What is it that the Lord wants to rearrange in your life today? Maybe he would have you stop something, straight up stop, because it's not redeemable. It's just, it's not redeemable. Or maybe he would have you redeem the thing you've been doing and do it for his glory. Father, as we come to the table, we in Jesus' name, we worship you, we repent, we submit. We ask, Lord, for forgiveness and cleansing and for strength. Holy Spirit, would you seal this group? If they're sealed already, would you just squeeze them? Let them know. Let them just sit there. Let them know you love them. If you're not here and you're not sealed, if you're not sealed yet, you don't have purpose, you don't have possession, you don't have protection, you're just on your own. And you would, you would just invite the Holy Spirit to seal you right now to be forgiven of your sins and to born again. Would you right now raise up your hand? If you're watching online, just raise up your hand wherever you're at. Just say, I want to be sealed. I want to be sealed. I see hands going up here at South Beach Church. I want to be sealed. Yes. In Jesus' name, Lord, seal your children, Lord. Give them purpose and protection. Give them that ownership, Lord, that they're not their own anymore, that they wouldn't act that way. They're bought at a price. Do that for them, Jesus, right now. And as we take communion, may we all, Lord, find ourselves warmed by your great love. We do what we do in Jesus' name. Amen.